You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Good morning. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each had heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pentus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed, perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. And well done, Bailey. Not the easiest teaching text to yet read. Well done with all of those words. Um, Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. Um, My name is Gemma. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm one of the pastors here. But this is actually the penultimate time when I get to do this. I feel like I should be taking a photograph right now. In my mind, I'm doing it. Um, For those of you who don't know, um, at the end of next month, end of June, my family and I will be moving to Ireland, where my husband John and I are from. Um, We moved to the States uh, 12 years ago for John to go to grad school in LA. We told all of our family and friends that we'd be gone for only two years. And then we just happened to do a little stopover in New York City and do a 10-year detour on our way home, um, which turned out to be the best decision that we could have made. Um, But our last Sunday is going to be June 25th. Um, The Sunday before that, which I believe is the 18th, I will do a kind of final address, if you will, which will just be a chance for for me to share stories and highlights and to leave some um, parting words, but just wanted to give you a heads up about that. Um, Our current teaching series is Messy Church, and the truth is that the transient nature of this city and the large number of transplants like ourselves who come and go, who love and leave, is, is part of what makes this specific church family a little messy. Um, I've been on the, the other side of goodbyes so many times and I know that it's, it's really hard. Um, and yet there's something really beautiful in it too. So I think, I think it's, it's um, interesting that we're exploring um, this theme of messy church in the midst of, uh, of more transition and goodbyes. Um, but today is a fun one because it's Pentecost. Thank you to the worship team for singing songs about the spirit moving and about wind and fire. Um, today, 
today, in terms of our chronology uh, in our teaching series, we're actually kind of going backwards. We've been in Acts 5 and 6 and 15, and now we're going back to Acts 2, so you've got to be nimble. I had surgery on my leg this week. I'm not physically nimble at all, but mentally I think I'm, I'm still nimble enough. <laughs> but Pentecost is a really important um, day in the liturgical church calendar, and it's sometimes referred to as the birthday of the church. So happy birthday, church capital C. Um, because it's on this day that the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples as Jesus had promised them, filling them and equipping them with power to be witnesses to Christ in the world. And they started doing that right away. And many people um, believed in Christ as a result. And the church was born. The rest of the book of Acts is not really so much about what the church did but really about what Jesus continued to do in partnership with those believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, growing up in the church, I always presumed that the word Pentecost was just a you know, fancy special word that was made up to mark you know, this particular time when the Holy Spirit fell. Um, but Pentecost was actually an ancient festival that the people of Israel had been celebrating since they received the Torah. The word Pentecost in, is Greek. Uh, it simply means 50th because it occurred 50 days after Passover. And it's often referred to as the festival of harvest. Um, in Exodus 23, 316, it's listed as one of the three annual festivals that the people of Israel were told to celebrate. And it was a joyous occasion when the people would give back the first fruits of their harvest to God in thanksgiving for his provision and anticipation of the full harvest. But what's important about this particular festival is that it was known as a pilgrim festival. In other words, all of the Jewish males were required to observe this festival in the temple in Jerusalem, which is why the passage tells us that God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven were in Jerusalem on this particular day. They'd made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to offer the first fruits of their harvest. And it was on this day that God decided to pour out his spirit and power upon the disciples and to receive the first fruits of the harvest of salvation as a foretaste of the full harvest that was still to come. Now, before we jump into Pentecost itself, I want us to first look back and remember some of the important things that Jesus had already told the disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So according to Acts 1, after his resurrection and before his ascension, Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem. He said, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, a baptism of repentance, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus alludes to the fact that he's already spoken to them about the coming of the Spirit. And if you look at John chapters 14 to 17, they're some of my favorite in scripture. They're not filled with uh, miracles or parables. They are filled with conversations, last conversations between Jesus and his friends. And if you've ever lost someone you love, you, you'll know that you retrospectively play over those final conversations again and again. What was it exactly she said? How did he phrase that? These are important conversations. And John is recalling important words that Jesus told them before his death, prayers that they overheard him pray for them, for the church that would be birthed as a result of their witness. And in John 14, Jesus is preparing the disciples for life without him. 
And he's reassuring them that, that though he will no longer physically be with them, his presence and power will be with them in the person of the Holy Spirit, who is God and equal to Father and Son. He says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the day of Pentecost comes around and all of the disciples are gathered together. Scripture tells us that there were 120 of them. Now, I don't know about you, I'm terrible with numbers. If John asks me, you know how many people were at that particular church event? I'm like, 27, 403, not too sure, somewhere in between. Um, and I know that if these first seven rows were filled, I know by my calculator that that would be 126 people, which they're not, but I would say we're probably not too far off that number in this room. Would you say, Patrick, Meg? Yeah, all right, so have a, just have a little look around for a second. Have a little look around. This is probably roughly what 120 gathered believers looks like and feels like and sounds like. Now, they were all gathered together in one home that would later spill out onto the streets and into the temple as New Yorkers were all, I guess, I mean, definitely pre-pandemic used to squeezing a lot of people into small spaces. Just think of, you know, a birthday party in a studio apartment where there were like 70 people in a room. I know I've had like 40 community group leaders gathered in my living room and it, it was tight, but, you know, very doable and enjoyable. Um, but while these believers were gathered together in this one space together, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind filled the whole house where they were sitting. Just take a moment to imagine what that might have felt like. Then they saw what looked like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. They must have known by looking around and seeing what was going on with other people, then realizing the same thing was happening to them. All of them began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, all throughout Scripture, the Holy Spirit is represented symbolically. Some of these symbols are a dove, like in Christ's baptism, water, oil, wind and fire, like we just read about in our teaching text. But it's important to note that the Holy Spirit isn't any one of these things. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person in the Trinity. These symbols simply represent the nature and presence and activity of God. That's why I think Luke, the writer, is very careful to say that the sound was like a violent wind and what seemed to be like tongues of fire. He's describing what is wholly other, but this manifestation of the Spirit was clearly both visible and audible. Luke is tapping into a theme that repeats throughout Old Testament scripture when God's presence is embodied in wind or breath and fire. And I want to draw our attention to a couple of Old Testament passages in particular. In Ezekiel 37, um, the prophet Ezekiel sees this vision uh, of a valley of dry bones and God asks him, can these bones live? 
This valley of dry bones represents the house of Israel. And when God commands Ezekiel to speak to these bones, God promises that the wind, his breath will enter them and bring them back to life. Though the people of Israel would experience destruction and exile, God promises a future hope and salvation through the coming of the Messiah when God would lead his people into full restoration. And this is represented like a wind or a breath filling these dry bones. In Exodus 19, we're told that when God was giving the covenant to the people of Israel, his presence was embodied on Mount Sinai as a pillar of fire. Later in Exodus 40, when the tabernacle was set up in accordance with the instructions that God had given Moses, God's presence came among the people, filling the tabernacle as a pillar of fire. This was the same pillar of fire that guided them by night through the wilderness. And Luke is making a really important point that there is no longer one single pillar of fire for all people, but there every individual has now become a mobile temple or tabernacle filled with the presence of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in each person who believes. God's personal presence and power has been unleashed and is freely available to indwell and empower every follower of Christ. Remember what Jesus had said to them earlier, The Holy Spirit lives with you and will be in you. You will be the temple that is filled with the presence of Christ. Last week, um, Patrick asked a really important question. He said, why are you here? Why even come to church at all? And I hope that as we unpack the story of Pentecost today, we will grow in our awareness of God's intention in birthing the church and why he chose to fill those 120 believers with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there are three core reasons. I want to unpack each of them. Um, I'm realizing that the last time I spoke on Easter Sunday, I gave you three R's. Uh, You maybe don't remember them. It's fine. Um, Today, I'm giving you three C's. I don't typically do this, actually, but my grandfather would be absolutely thrilled with me about this. Um, So here's where we're going today. Communion, community, and commission. So let's start with communion. God's desire has always, always, always been for relationship with his creation. And throughout scripture, we witness the force of God's redemptive love moving towards humanity, pursuing relationship. This is the mission of God. And the Holy Spirit has fueled this mission right from the very beginning. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the advocate or comforter. He said that the Holy Spirit would become their teacher, would live within them and would never leave them. The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us and leads us into ever-increasing intimacy and friendship with the person of Jesus so that we can become more like him. Many spiritual writers have actually described the Holy Spirit with the language of mother. We live in a very patriarchal society. Our reading of scripture is very much conditioned and filtered through that patriarchal lens. So there there can be a level of discomfort in describing God as anything other than he. But in many ancient writings, the Holy Spirit was often depicted as female to express the sense of maternal nurturing, this teaching, forming, this tender way in which the Spirit guides us into a deeper sense of knowing and being known. And one writer describes his own experience with the Holy Spirit as being filled with liquid love, 
Romans 5, 5 says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And it is through the Spirit that we learn to love and be loved. There is a very real sense in which the Spirit brings us this indescribable comfort. Scripture also tells us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, anybody know? Freedom. The Spirit brings a sense of joy and delight and play. The Spirit is the agent of creation. And wherever the Spirit is, there should be new and wonderful things bubbling up. When I first encountered this very tangible sense of the the Holy Spirit for the first time. I was in this church in inner city Dublin. I was a college student. And although I had grown up in the church, um, what I was seeing and hearing and experiencing in this particular church was radically different from anything I had encountered before. And, And truth be told, I just didn't have a grid for it at the time. One of the sounds I vividly remember hearing was the sound of laughter in worship. And I felt so confronted by it because it had never occurred to me that that God had invented joy and laughter and that in encountering him, there would naturally be this sense of joy bubbling up, of celebration in his presence. Um, I'm a bit of a word nerd. I recently uh, discovered that the root of the word enthused is literally entheos, which means indwelt by God. The people of God should be the most joyous and celebratory in the world. And it shouldn't surprise us that when people saw those first disciples filled with the Holy Spirit, they presumed like they've gotta be drunk. That that has to be what's going on here. And Peter's like, it's nine in the morning, guys. This is not, this is not drunkenness. Part of what can make the church messy in a beautiful way is the fact that the Holy Spirit will not be confined to our neat and tidy boxes. There is a wildness when it comes to the Spirit. There is a sense of immediacy and surprise. We are not the ones in control, and sometimes we don't like that. When the Spirit is freely moving in a space, we can't always predict what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit also leads us into wholeness and union because the Spirit sanctifies us and brings us closer to the reality of holiness. Just like a fire refines gold, the Holy Spirit is like a refining fire, purifying us and making us more like Christ. So when I talk about communion, I just don't mean friendship. It's also about our formation in holiness and Christ-likeness, and that doesn't always feel comfortable. In the church that I was just talking about, there were many times when I encountered this sense of um, take off your shoes, holiness in the room kind of feeling. And it wasn't like, um, you know, here I am warming myself by this cozy fire and I, you know, I feel all warm and fuzzy. I remember feeling deeply uncomfortable, actually. Um, there was this overwhelming sense of if I get too close to this kind of fire, maybe all the sin in my life is going to be licked up and I might never be able to be the same. God is good. He's good. I've told this story many times, but for months in that church during uh, response and ministry time like we have every week, I used to go and hide in the bathroom. I would just urgently need to pee as soon as someone said, come forward for prayer. Um, and the thing was that I, I wanted to be in the room. I wanted to be in proximity. I was curious, but I just didn't know exactly how close I was willing to get yet. 
Um, but in God's goodness, he just pursued me in the tender way that the Spirit does and just called me out, wooed me in. But the presence of the Spirit does interrupt our lives and even disrupts our comfortable, cozy Christian experience that is so familiar to us. But what made me make the choice to move forwards was that the people in this church appeared to have this dynamic, intimate, interactive relationship with God in a way that I had kind of boxed to being people that are in Scripture. I had prayed and read the Bible, you know, most of my life, but I didn't really have an expectation that God would interact with me. I didn't really believe that, that what I was reading in Scripture was an invitation to experience. But when I started to dip my toe into these unfamiliar waters, what I experienced was that my life with God changed from black and white to color. That is how I describe it. It was like, it was like this beautiful 2D image that just burst into 3D animation. And suddenly I realized that the spirit was just implanting life and hope and a renewed sense of purpose in me and, and deeply desired to be in communion with me. And that in surrendering all of my life to Christ, I would receive abundantly more than I could ever have dared to hope or ask for or imagine. But while Christianity is, is, is deeply personal, it is not and should not ever be private or hyper-individualized. This is where community comes in. Our Christian life must be embedded within a communal relationship with God. God's desire was that his people would live in community. God is never and has never been alone. God exists in a family. It's called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of that loving communion of the Trinity, life was created. We were created in the image of God, created for loving community and interdependence. We are invited to express and reflect the love and community of the Trinity in the way that we journey together as family. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit gathered and formed a people around the person of Christ, a community that would show the world what God was like. Scripture describes the church in so many different ways. There's going to be a bunch of them on the screen. Um, I'm not going to talk about all of these, but, you know, Christ called his followers to be a pilgrim people, to live in community, to journey together in a way that was marked by love and mutual submission and service. And he said that if they did that, that was how the world would know that they were his disciples. They would be like a colony of heaven, like a new humanity. I love the one that says they're called to be peculiar people. They're supposed to lead lives that evoke questions, lives that were subversive, aliens, never fully at home in the majority culture. They were to live as the sacramental presence of Christ on the earth, telling the story of what God is like, making the kingdom of God visible. The church were to be an attractive people, living an alternative lifestyle that embraced revolutionary kingdom values that would compel others to live the way of Jesus. The gospel is made known by a people who live it. When Jesus gave what has become known as the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, he told the disciples to make disciples. He said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that teaching would not just be with words. Discipleship was more like an apprenticeship. It had to be lived. 
Remember what Jesus said before his ascension, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We receive the infilling of the Spirit in order to bear witness to the resurrection of Christ and life in the kingdom of God as the one true story that all the world is invited to find their place in. Um, Michael Goheen, who's taught extensively um, on mission and written extensively on mission, he describes Christians as a so that people. In other words, God doesn't bless us exclusively, but instrumentally so that we can become a conduit for the blessing of others, creating room for flourishing, making space for the shalom of God through his rule and reign. The church is called to partner with God in his mission of redemption in the world, to co-mission with God. When the Holy Spirit came upon the gathered believers, they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And all those Jews who were gathered from every nation under heaven were utterly bewildered because they each heard their own language being spoken by a bunch of Galileans. They were utterly amazed. Aren't they Galileans? How is it that we hear it in our native language? So what was it that they were saying? Scripture tells us that all of them, in language that they'd never learned, were declaring the wonders of God. They were declaring the wonders and the mighty deeds of God. And so they can't help but ask, what does this mean? What does this mean for my life? And Peter, this wasn't in our teaching text, comes right after, but Peter, emboldened by the power of the Spirit, stands up and addresses the crowd, bearing witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He makes sense of the Old Testament scriptures that were known by heart by all of these people gathered, but he talks about them in the light of Jesus and the kingdom that he ushered in. The tribes of Israel had been scattered by the exile, but they're being drawn back together around the person of Jesus to become the restored people of God. And Peter urges them to repent, to be baptized, and to receive the gift of the Spirit. And 3,000 people became followers of Jesus on that day. We talked earlier about what 120 feels like. Can you imagine, just imagine for a second, just a quick second, if we're just sitting here and 3,000 people who've never had a relationship with Jesus before join us in this community right here. I mean, talk about messy church. I bet that got messy really fast. And honestly, I think it was in resistance to this kind of messiness that when the Western church started doing missions overseas, it became so enmeshed in colonization, in forcing people to conform to a certain way of doing things. Because isn't it easier if everybody looks the same and acts the same and does the same things? But that isn't what we see at Pentecost God allowed the people to experience the good news of the gospel in their own native languages, reminding us that the gospel dignifies every culture under heaven. All they were being asked to conform to was the lordship of Christ. And, you know, I think that many of us are allergic to the word evangelism and the practice of evangelism, and partly it's in response to the ways that we've seen uh, the church embody this colonial approach forcing people to look and act and sound like white America. 
I remember even growing up in, in Northern Ireland as a young person being trained to do door-to-door ministry. Does anybody else know that or was that part of their experience? So um, essentially we just knock on the doors of, of people that we didn't know and tell them about Jesus and our church. And while I'm sure there was some good in that, I remember feeling that it seemed so unnatural so kind of transactional and that there was something missing. And I think what was missing was relationship. David Fitch, who writes a lot about the church living missionally, he says this, presence should precede proclamation. In other words, it's not that we get to opt out of sharing the gospel because we have some baggage about how the church did it in the past. We should be talking about Jesus and declaring the wonders of God But it should happen organically as we live our lives before our family and our neighbors and our colleagues. Um, Michael Frost, in his book, Surprise the World, talks about the distinction between gifted evangelists and evangelistic believers. So gifted evangelists are a percentage of the church, a number of people in the wider body of Christ who have been gifted by the Spirit to share the good news of the gospel with others, to boldly proclaim the gospel. And there are some of you in this room, there are people who have this sense of alertness. They're they're just looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus and what he's done in their lives. But there's also many of you who don't feel that way. And that is okay. You are in the camp of evangelistic believers. That is everyone, okay? And this is what everyone is called to do. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Every believer is called to live their life openly before others as a countercultural follower of Jesus, living the kind of lives that evoke questions, and then being ready to graciously and respectfully share the wonders of God, the ways in which Christ has made a difference in our lives. Pope Francis puts it like this, for if we have received the love which restores meaning to our lives, how can we feel to share that love with others? Pentecost reminds us that we are called to witness to the resurrection of Christ in such a way that when people hear it, they feel like they're home. They feel like someone is speaking their native language, the language of their soul. This is what evangelism is. It's not 10 steps to making Christianity sexy. It is speaking the native language of the soul. It's bear witness, bearing witness to what's missing in the lives of people around us and shining a light on a better way. So the gospel is personal. It is about communion. It is about me and God. It's also about community. It's about us and God and living in community together in a way that radiates the presence of Christ. But it's also cosmic. It is about the world and God. And God wants to use your life your little life in the redemption of all of creation. And I think there may be some of you listening here just like, you know what, I just, I don't have myself figured out yet. Like I'm hanging on by a thread. I'm, I feel like my life is a mess. I, I, I don't even really know who Jesus is to me anymore. And how can I start talking about that with other people? And for some of you, you need to find yourself in that place of communion of lingering in God's presence, of experiencing the love of God afresh, maybe even for the first time. 
of experiencing the life and hope of the Spirit breathing on you and bringing you back to life. Some of you have been deeply wounded by the church. And I know that you're just slowly trying to trust again. And you need to ease yourself back into community. And it's okay to be gentle with yourself. As a pastor, one of the greatest joys of my life is that I get to sit over coffee with many people in this room and talk about your stories and what brought you here. And one of the questions that I often find myself asking is like, you know, what made you stick around? After that first Sunday, you know, why did you stay? And the answer that I hear in various different words, but the, the answer that I consistently hear is, I felt like I could just come as I am. I felt like there was room for me to be on the journey. And I deeply hope that that is the felt experience of everyone who enters these doors. But we as a church would also be doing a disservice to you if we never told you that it's possible to stay too long in that space. We want you to feel welcome exactly as you are. We want you to discern wisely the next step for yourself. But we also want to unapologetically point you to a life of full discipleship. And at some point that will mean lifting your eyes off yourself and your own concerns and your own life and begin to have a holy imagination for what God might want to do with your life, to use you in the redemption of the world. None of us share Christ from a place of perfection. I certainly don't. We share out of our humanity. In, in the words of Leonard Cohen, there is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. The church is the earthen jar filled with the treasure of the gospel and the cracks reveal that the light, that treasure is God's. It's not ours. Recently, I came across these artists from the UK, Tim Noble and Sarah, uh, Sue Webster excuse me, and uh, they create sculpture pieces using trash and recycled materials. Um, you might see one here. Um, and you know, you, you might find yourself looking at this and wondering what is particularly special or interesting about them. They just maybe look like a collection of trash, neatly positioned. Um, but then when they are flooded with light, they generate the most beautiful and intricate and interesting silhouettes in this surprising, unexpected way. And this made me think of my life and it made me think of the church. In the cold light of day, sometimes all we see in ourselves, both individually and collectively, is the brokenness, that the mess, what is flawed, what is ugly, what feels outdated or irrelevant, but in some mysterious way, when the eternal light of Christ shines on us and in us and through us, there is beauty and redemption amidst the mess. God is doing something good and beautiful. And we have to trust that the light of God's presence is greater than our present darkness. Jesus himself said this in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church is broken and messy because we are broken and messy, but the church is still God's best arrangement for God's people to partner with him in his mission of redemption. And nothing will prevail against God's purposes in using the church he has built and is building to bring about the restoration of the world. Can we have eyes to see the kingdom purposes that God wants to accomplish through our lives right now? We might ask ourselves these questions today. 
Who is God in me? What is God doing around me? And what is God doing through me? I think that the greatest danger for this specific community that we all are part of and love is that we would remain cozy and comfortable in communion with God and with one another, but never fully give our attention to the ways in which God is calling us to co-mission with him in the world, that we would get a bit fat, hoarding all the gifts of God to ourselves and never truly give it away outside these walls for the flourishing of people who are desperate for some good news. Spiritual formation in Christ and mission with Christ are inseparable. The deepening of our communion with God should naturally lead to increasing involvement in the world. And increasing involvement in the world should lead to deepening communion with God. It's the inhale and the exhale of our life of faith. We don't do one without the other. I think that some of us have... um, impact anxiety. We, we're looking for the spectacular, the ways that we can spectacularly partner with God, the ways that God is going to spectacularly um, show up in our lives. Mike Cosper, um, he says that seeking the spectacular is a symptom of a disenchanted society. We're looking for things that make us feel something again. But I think sometimes when we're too busy looking for the spectacular, we will miss the simple and subtle mustard seed ways of the kingdom where God wants to break in to our ordinary everyday lives. Um, I, I spent a summer out in Calcutta and was serving with the missionaries of charity and uh, we would meet in Mother House uh, for some breakfast before we would go out to serve in the slums. and. Uh, You know, I got to say, I was there to do the spectacular. I was there to make a difference in the world. And and I was so confronted by the words on this arch that we had to exit out of every morning. And in the words of Mother Teresa, it just said, today there are no great things, only small things with great love. And I was confronted again by this, the upside down kingdom that when, when the small is put into the hands of God, he is the one that multiplies. I think we need to make sure that we're not missing where the kingdom of God is breaking through because we're too busy w- wishing for and looking for the spectacular. God can do the spectacular. And he also often moves in simple and subtle ways that we miss if we don't have eyes to see. The phrase that I've had just um, going through my mind in terms of our response today, which we're going to get to in just a second, um, is simply the word, the phrase, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Um, Throughout scripture, there is this clear theme of God receiving back the gifts of humanity and supernaturally multiplying or transforming them for the good of the world. And when God called Moses to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and Moses doubted his ability to live out this call, God asked him, what's in your hand, Moses? And his shepherd's staff, which was the symbol of his occupation as a shepherd, 
became an instrument of God's power and redemptive purposes when fully surrendered into the hands of God. In John 6, when, John, when uh, there's a, a hungry crowd, 5,000 them on a hill, and a, a little boy responds to that felt need, bringing a simple gift of a couple of loaves and fish, Jesus takes what is not enough and makes it more than enough for the flourishing of those people. And I feel like today God is asking each of us, what's in your hand? And I think for some of us, the invitation is to throw down our occupation. And not in the sense of like, okay, I'm gonna just leave my job. No, it's about asking God for a holy imagination about how he may want to partner with you in the place where you go nine to five or nine to eight or however many hours you work. Some of you are not doing the job that you think is your dream job. But what if today God could give you a vision for what it would be like for you to partner with him day to day with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the love of Christ in that space. I'm gonna invite the, the band to come on up. Actually, communion servers, you can come on up as well. But I wanna just invite you just to take a moment, just close your eyes. Maybe think back on those questions, communion who is God in me today? Community, what, what is God doing around me? And commission, what is God doing through me? In a moment, as part of our response, we're gonna come to the table to this beautiful symbol, this beautiful meal, this sacrament, where through the bread, we are reminded of the body of Christ, broken for us. Through the cup, we are reminded of the blood of Christ, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. We are reminded to do this, to eat this meal in remembrance of him. And part of that is remembering what he asked us to continue doing to continue his work. We come to this table and we, we come to a place of communion. And for some of you today, maybe, maybe responding, maybe response looks like saying, Holy Spirit, would you fill me afresh today? Would you lead me into deeper friendship with Jesus? Maybe you've never had that. And you want to experience that dynamic, interactive relationship with Christ. And maybe for some of you, you've been enjoying that communion with Christ, but you've kind of been, you know, Lone Ranger and coming to the table and looking into the eyes of your server and them saying, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. And this is the, the blood of Christ shed for you is reminding you that I am in a body. I am in a community of people. And maybe for some of you today, coming to the table is about saying, Jesus, would you just recommission me Holy Spirit, would you fill me and empower me to bear witness to you in the world, to speak of the wonder of Christ? Why don't you stand with me? And before we come forward, I'm just, I just wanna pray for us.
And I want to encourage you. The Holy Spirit is described as, as a gift, the gift of the Father. So even as we pray, stretch out your hands as if, as if you're receiving a gift. And we just want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh? Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us as you did then upon those 120 gathered believers. Would you fill us afresh again? Holy Spirit, would you come however you wanna come? Do the simple, do the subtle, do the spectacular. We don't, we're not seeking the gifts, we're seeking the giver. We want you, Jesus. We want you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, for my, my, my brothers and sisters who just feel far from you, who, who don't feel like they have that sense of connection and communion, would you, would you fill them today? Would you pour out your liquid love on their hearts today? Would they know again that you are with them and in them and for them? Lord, would you make us a pilgrim people living in community together in loving submission and service to one another? Holy Spirit, would you commission us afresh to be disciples and to be disciple makers, to work with you in the redemption of the world. Prayer team, I'm going to invite you just to be forward to receive anybody who might just want to come and just receive a, a fresh, a fresh touch from God today. Um, how we do communion, if you haven't been with us before, the, the first half of the room are going to come forward um, to the, the front of the room. And if you're in the, the back half, there's, um, there's a serving station midway up and, and you can be served there. But come and receive the gifts of God for the people of God and come and receive prayer as you feel inv invited by God to respond.